Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, Ambassador of 805 Connect and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Polestring Press, for this great studio. And Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Mark. Patrick, I'd like you to meet Michael Teasdale. Michael, Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Mark. <laughs> and Thank you. Uh, to our, our listener who's listening to us from one of 42 different countries. Oh, that's fantastic. We started as a, you know, regional conversations, the idea of 805 conversations, right. people from uh, 100 miles north to 100 miles south. It's a pretty wide swath of Central California. And within about a month, found that people from all over the world were listening and started to think about the conversations with more global context or more universal themes and not just uh, about the Strawberry Festival in Oxnard, <laughs> for instance. H how did you come to the region, Michael? I came to the region because I was transferred here um, by Baxter. I worked for them for the last 13 years. I was living in Paris, had moved to Wisconsin uh, while I was working for GE, and then hired by Baxter. Uh, spent my first year in Baxter in Wisconsin and then moved here about 13 years ago. And uh, after all that moving, my wife told me if, <laughs> I, if I was to move again or get another job, I was to commute because this, this, she loved this place and we both love it now. You know, it's a great area to live. Great. And where do you live? Do you live in Thousand Oaks or in Conejo uh, Valley? Newbury, yeah, Conejo Valley, Newberry Park. Yeah, up uh, in the hill. Up on the hill. Isn't that nice bit. looking back? Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Spectacular. And nice little microclimate. You know, we hardly use our uh, air conditioning during the summer. Now it's wonderful. Place. And where'd you come from originally? Uh, I haven't said an AR word yet, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Boston, huh? Uh, from Boston. <laughs> from Boston. Yeah. Oh, I we had uh, the former publisher of the Boston Globe was in a couple of weeks ago. I heard that. That was an interesting conversation. Yeah, that yeah. was... Uh, that was like a master class on where we are in publishing and, and print and all of that. I love that he's retired but still paying very close attention to the media. Yes. Very interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was insightful, huh? Yeah. It yeah. was interesting. Yeah. And your uh, area of expertise is healthcare. It's healthcare um, in a n very non technical way, as I work with GE, their healthcare branch, and then Baxter for the last um, 13 years. And I ended up working on operational excellence in the factories. That is helping produce uh, biotech drugs more efficiently and with higher quality. Um, it was a lot of fun because I learned a lot of different things uh, from the scientists there right. um, at Baxter um, about molecules with a lot of molecules whose names I cannot reproduce or sure. pronounce <laughs> sure. again. Huh? Uh, but it was fascinating. I had a wonderful time. It was a great company. Do you feel like you could walk into a complex system and be able to understand that complex system <coughs> and then how to fine tune that and find efficiencies in it? it wouldn't, I, I, I guess, are you um, domain uh, agnostic? <laughs> <laughs> what an expression. I love it. Yeah. Um, I probably could, with a series of questions, um, find out what the process is and look at where there might be areas that the process has problems or you could uh, simplify it 
and make it move faster and maybe with less errors. So let's do a little test. Uh-oh. <laughs> not a test. It's not a test. It's a, a little mini class. So um, all of our businesses are just a, a combination of processes, whether we, we make something or we sell something or we create what we're creating something to sell. And it could be very complex, like a, a drug that probably takes 10 years to get on the market and, and all of those things. As, so let's help our listener think about the processes they have and how they would examine them if they brought you in, let's say, to do, you don't do that, but let's say they did. So what would the three th questions be that they're looking at? The first question is, who is their customer? Okay, got it. Um, what is that, and what does that customer need or want from them? Okay, how does that relate to a process? Well, because that should tell you the end of the process, and that tells you what your product is. If you're doing a service, um, right. what does the customer very appreciate in that service? Is because you're close to them? Like a Starbucks, it's down the street, you'll go to it, a gym. So the product... Proximity. Right. Proximity is a big part of that process. For a drug, it's maybe the safety or reliability of receiving the drug, let's say for a hemophiliac who needs... Um, drugs every day in order to keep his, uh, or every other day, to keep the um, count up of uh, in coagulation right. proteins. Right. He needs that every day. So that's part of your product. So understanding the customer and okay, then what so? your product is and what's important to that is key. Okay, so that's number one. So have a real clear view of that. And it might be obvious, but it might uh, not be But it might be not obvious. be. You can be. You can be surprised if you start asking questions. Really? Why? am I buying your product or why am I coming to see you um, for a service? Um, it's always a very interesting conversation. Um, the second is to understand what is the, what is the start of your process. So you, you have the start, or I should say the second would be the beginning and end of your process. Got it. When do you start taking control? Are there suppliers who were giving you information, products, and how do you, when do you get control, and then when do you release it to the uh, customer? Hmm. Um, those sound like simple questions, um, but at times you'll find customers or, or companies will stop what they think stopping their service, and they don't realize, well, what the customer really wants is to go to a certain place with their bags with them. Sure. Well, if they get sure. to that place and their ba bags ain't with them, as some airlines happen, <laughs> the customer's not going to be happy. So the product and the end of their process is the happy customer walking out with a bag in their hand. Right. Not necessarily the flight, but, not but, necessarily but the just happiness the flight. that they leave with. Right. right. Not just the flight. And, of course, the, the, the third thing is then try to identify the key steps in your process and measure them. So, Okay. Measure what you think is important, the time, the quality. Um, it's like your diagnosis. It it's sounds like you're, you know, like you're looking at the patient and saying, what it, what's wrong, what's right, what's, what's, you know, what can you, how, where, where do you fit into that as a new manager? Right. New? Because the, the big issue, uh, either as a consultant or with the different companies I've worked in, when you're working in an operation and you, first of all, get people thinking that they are part of a process. A lot of companies say, well, I'm doing my job, sort of chaplain-esque, right. my little right. section, right. and then the, the product flies out of my, my sight and my world and I forget about it. The first thing is getting people to understand they're part of a process 
and that because they're part of a process, they're interconnected with everyone else in their organization, and maybe even those outside of their organization, and when you start measuring it, it's something right. that you can improve. If you think and challenge yourselves, you can actually improve that process. Is there always room for improvement in any process? Usually. I, Usually. I never say always, sure. but 99.9% .9 of the time, um, we can always improve something. Even if it's just 1%. It might be 1%. But you take a, a, a process like producing a drug that's key to a, a patient's health, and a drug, as we had at uh, my old company, Baxter, where there wasn't enough product to meet the demand. A 1% improvement in volume could actually mean another 2,000 people have a better quality of life because there's mm. more product to give to them. That, mm. seem, that seems mm. like a very ethical point of view. What do you think about the, the hedge funds that have moved into the, to the drug market and, and purchased certain outdated drugs and then, and then jacked the price oh. up on them uh, simply wow. as a profit? Great. Yeah. Great. yeah. I, I think that's a major challenge. I think, you know, the, the, I think we can mention the two or three most blatant examples of that, and I think it's unethical. Mm -hmm. um, I do think, and I'm, uh, you know, I worked 25 years in the healthcare industry, and I think by and large the actors in the healthcare industry want to produce good product at a reasonable price and at a reasonable return. Mm -hmm. um, now, there's some discussion what you might deem Consider a reasonable, reasonable. return, yeah. but I think the outrageous returns are something that, frankly, I think the market and healthcare being the type of industry it is where you have inelastic demand, that is people who need that product or their quality of life or even their life will end, you need some sort of regulation or some mm. going beyond just the, the market mechanisms. Because hmm. in the healthcare industry, you have a lot of minor products that are only produced by one or two people in the world. Because the demand is, is so Because the demand is so restricted, because the initial investment in order to produce that product is staggering. Right. So right. the barriers to entry are very high. And then once you're in there, you've got a, a literal monopoly of, mm. you know, that, that might be a small segment, but could be very lucrative. Hmm. I remember getting, um, having a, a prescription I went in. It was for a, a thing for my wife, but it was like $7,000. Yeah. I was like, well, well, hold it. And it's because it's not, uh, FDA, or it's a weird FDA thing. Mm -hmm. It's ten bucks anywhere else in the world, mm -hmm. but seven thousand dollars here. That was just we ended up buying it from a Canadian pharmacy. Yeah. Well, I, I gave a class. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I, am I going to have to edit that out? Did you just admit to something? I have to edit out. <laughs> no, you can totally do that. Okay. The doctor right. tells you to do that. Oh, okay, great. Okay, just check. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't bought anything like that. So okay. Yeah, no, you're allowed. That, I, I you can do that. I think there's a, there's a huge challenge in our healthcare. Um, last fall, I gave a course on comparative healthcare systems, a lot about- You teach? I teach oh. at uh, CSU. Got it. In Channel Islands um, at an OSHA program. It's a wonderful program for people over 50. Mm -hmm. A lot of people with great backgrounds, you know, lawyers, doctors, nurses. It's who aren't done learning. Who aren't done learning, exactly. Yeah. And, it's, and it's wonderful discussions. Um, and you'll find that our drug prices in general are 50 to 100 percent higher um, than most of the rest of the world. Sure. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One is we don't have a, a single payer who negotiates with the right. drug companies and so has the power, you know, to, to negotiate against a, a, a company or three or four companies that might right. be the only people who make that drug. 
Um, I also think there are high uh, R&D costs. And there needs to be a negotiation about, you know, when you've invested as an Amgen or Baxter or, or any drug company years and hundreds of millions of dollars into a product, when does that, when does the return never... Um, could, couldn't they do tax subsidies? Couldn't there be some kind of like where we as a community decide that even though there are only less than 0.1% of us afflicted with this, the drug is that necessary that we would subsidize the research and development for that? Wouldn't that make sense? We do that to some extent, Good. but yeah. it could make, it could make, we do basic research. Uh, but at the same time, what's, what's wonderful about the free market yeah. is that it generates that creativity. Mm. So let's say a niche drug that might have 10,000 people who are sick in the United States you know, it will drive that sort of um, energy to, to find a, a solution. The question is how much return is really motivating for, for, for someone to right. take that risk. And right. that's, a difficult, right. that's a difficult question. Because you're answer. talking about lives. Right. You're talking about the, lives. The quality of life. Mm-hmm. The quality of life. And yeah. you're talking about someone who's saying, God, I might put in a lot of money here. And, uh, and at the end of 10 years, it might not work. Here's a science question. That so might, that's a, how uh, do you how do you judge that? Here's a science question that might be outside your purview, but um, how often, though, during that research and development are uh, beneficial, uh, unanticipated beneficial outcomes coming from that research, meaning that, that we've developed something we weren't intending to get, uh, you know, Lipitor, I think, is one that R- had this. Rogaine comes to mind. We d- sure. We didn't anticipate this, this, this incredibly lucrative benefit on this side. We just came upon it as we were looking for the cure for this or the solution for this. I, I can't give you any percentages sure. on that, but in my experience, the companies I work for, that never happened. Okay. That, oh, that's really? what I'm looking for. Oh, like, that's okay. not a... It's, I wouldn't say it's common. Right. Certainly not something that you could uh, program for or anticipate. Right. Be difficult in your probabilities and then saying, well, what's the average return I'm going to get sure. out of 20 projects because I might find one out of those 20 an unanticipated result. That's, mm. I think yeah. that would be very difficult. To and do. that's probably, that's probably, so, so again, I'm, I'm trying to like echo this thing that I, I would hear in the media. Mm-hmm. It's probably not an accurate way that science behaves. <laughs> like that science doesn't just kind of lollygag around and throw 15, 15 right. chances at it right. to see which one hits and oh, one cures, you know, amputations. Great. Right. But you, you do have within the drug industry a lot of time and energy spent on other applications once they do oh. find a drug that has some applicability mm. and has efficaciousness on a certain um, uh, disease. How can that be used? How can that be multiplied to other diseases? Hmm. And that's true for uh, medical equipment. In the last... Uh, 20 years, look at how the, the use of the MRI sure. has just exploded. It uh, doesn't just solve one thing. It solves, all of a sudden you can have an MRI of your head, of, of all sorts of different parts of your body for different t- types of, uh, of uh, investigative sure. uh, and data searching efforts. Huh? Mm. We were talking about, we started with operational excellence, mm-hmm. which I love those two words together, and you talked about questions, we're examining the process. I want to come back to what you said where you identify the key steps. So if we have this process, so I, I'm imagining this big blank white wall and I'm just, and I've already established the beginning, the end, and now I'm just articulating all the steps in between. And I want to, I want to ask you a question and see if, if I'm on the right track. You said you want to measure what you think is important, which presumes that that might not be the important thing. It might not be. I'll give you an example in a company I worked with where the measure was the time 
um, to shipment. Okay. That sounds, when you look at that, that seems to make sense. Seems fair. But w then we realized that we had a big problem, not in shipping, but it being received and used by, its, by the patients. So you can, you can time where well, we ship this MRI to a hospital on April 5th. But the key for our customers, well, did you ship it in the window of time where our construction process was ready to put in mm. the MRI. If you shipped it too early, it sat there useless. If you shipped it too late, they'd have to delay their construction process. So the real key measure became, well, was it shipped within the window of opportunity to have it installed within the hospital? Because when you build an MRI, you have to build a whole suite around it. Right. No, no, we're yeah. just building MRIs. Why would, why would the shipping matter? And the shipping somebody else's problem. Yeah, and That's why would you have to ship it yeah. within a certain period of time? Why isn't getting it there quicker better? Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's not better. It's getting there at the right time. So little differences like that can make big differences in how your customer perceives you and, of course, whether you're going to resell them or, or you've got a happy customer. Well, that goes back to the first thing you said, which was who is your customer? Right. What do they need and want and, and all of that? So understanding that. we, Patrick, do you sense a theme? I mean, <laughs> we, 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 we tend to... It doesn't matter how we come at this problem. Uh, on the show, we, you know, we talk about business and entrepreneurs and startups and, and all of that and all phases of that. And there are all these common themes, but we're having so many different lenses that we look at them through, mm -hmm. the different but people it's, that it's, we've brought. It's, I don't, I'm trying to remember any time that we've been listing and I've ever heard anybody talking about business on here uh, wing something out and I go, yeah, um, that's totally different than everything else we've ever heard from anybody. Uh, you know, like that doesn't happen. Everybody gives the same level of, of, of analytics and thoughtfulness and like making a business out of, out of, you know, careful decisions. Nobody's coming in here going, well, you know, I wake up in the morning, I roll some dice. I put a bunch of ideas in the hats. I just pull something out. You know, it just usually ends up working by five. You know, you never hear somebody giving. And I think that's the thing is, you know, after 80 plus, almost 90 shows, we're hearing be careful, be specific, be thoughtful. Be well, you know, it's interesting. In, in my experience, I spent a lot of time in the, in the theater as well mm. as in business. And Oh, yeah, that lines up. Of course, you know, <laughs> yeah, direct. Yeah, totally. But I think what's what I've found interesting in my life, that in business as well as even in theater, take theater, someone said he's in, he improvs very well. Well, you don't become a real good improv improvist until you've worked a whole lot mm -hmm. where you learn to become to listen to somebody else and respond and I think it's the same in business and unless you listen and have discipline then you can be creative mm. and it's and it's almost what I found in the theater is people are most creative when they have an obstacle oh yeah oh yes yeah, yeah. creativity craves constraint exactly you know yeah. the blank the blank uh, tableau. Please, no. No. Um, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. You know? exactly. But if you give uh, uh, an actor a climb over this table and it's real difficult, you'll see him or her become extremely creative. Mm. Like you'll give a scientist, you know, find, you know, uh, a, an inexpensive solution right. to this problem here. Or find, an engineer. Find me a good drug. Yeah. Right, right. Well, what, a good drug doing what? Just sure. a good one. No, Just a good no, one this yeah. year. Yeah, so I, I think we forget that that there's, mm. there's there's these themes of 
of having to listen to people, having to organize, and the hard work really leads to the creativity. Well, or, the, or the look for those obstacles rather than mm, cherish mm, the times mm. when you don't have one. Oh, it was just easy for us. We didn't have yeah. any obstacles. And it's right. like, well, then how do you know that you've actually succeeded or arrived at a great mm-hmm. place because you didn't have to really fight to get here? Yeah. We were also fascinated with storytelling, and storytelling always has yeah. obstacles and always has mm-hmm. a dragon, which gets <laughs> us back to theater. The hero's which, journey. And, yeah, right, all, yeah. all of that. Um, uh, uh, Campbell's all of his lectures mm-hmm. were just put up on within the last six months. Mm-hmm. Every lecture put on Spotify. Nice, and you can listen right. to. Right. There's hundreds of hours of of him talking. Aren't, right. aren't we evolving into that? Used to be when I was a, a kid and a magician that that was the joke. Is the best way to keep a magic a sec- or a magic trick a secret is to write it in a book and put it in a library. <laughs> and I and I think that I think that so much of our so much of our you know like the Library of Alexandria this idea of yes. th- that that there are more books in the world than you could read there are more uh, intellectual moments of that have been recorded now than you could ever listen to I mean we're crossing over I just said this a moment ago but like we're crossing over into this place where if you sat down and tried to listen to eight oh five conversations from start to finish you could occupy yourself for you a know, month. Yeah, I mean, a very long time now of, of, and that's that's weird when you cross into that when there's so right. much information in the world that you can you can process it down. Not a question, just a statement. The you you brought up a, you've brought up several interesting paths that we could go down, but I, I want to do the theater one because mm-hmm. um, I'm an improver oh, and okay. I improv at the Unitarian Church. And oh, really? I, and I yeah, here in Santa I'm Barbara. Unitarian, Unitarian I, myself. This is why I'm saying this. <laughs> uh, it was uh, every Wednesday night we do that and uh, look up Santa Barbara Improv if that's of interest to you. Okay. Uh, and we've talked to people about finding improv locally because I do it specifically for business. It's like I, I'm very conscious that I, I don't care. Being on stage is fun, but having these kinds of conversations mm-hmm. being very present. So what got you into theater into the beginning and where are you with theater now? We'll do our beginning and end. Ah, okay. Uh, actually, right now, I'm a great watcher of theater. Okay. Um, I probably haven't been involved in theater since or for the last 25 years. Okay. I think I got into the theater for two reasons. One, I was fascinated by how to motivate someone, how, how to explore a character, and how to get an actor to find the common parts of him or herself with that, with that character, mm. you know, whether it's Hamlet, that sort, of, that sort of searching that Hamlet has, that sort of uh, incredible sense of self-awareness that Hamlet has. Can we find that in the actor? And so there's some authenticity that's out in the stage. That really interested me. And the second thing is I, I, I came up with my Bing theory. Oh, what's that? Well, when you come on stage and, or you go into an empty space, you watch theater. What I wanted to create as a director, because I was, I was only a director, I was a horrible actor, <laughs> um, was really to create that Bing in your audience that they had learned something, they had some sort of awareness, they had some sort of expansion of the connections they could make. And that gave that sort of pleasant feeling. Bing, a bing. bing you know. And if, and if I looked at the great theater that I've seen, yes. and what's unique about the theater is it's that contact with the actors mm. and that sort of bing that somehow I've learned something. 
Yes. And that has somehow evolved or given me another lens to look at on my life, you know. So then we have the Bing index that you could measure. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, one to ten. Right, did I Bing? Is it is it still is it a, a vitally important component? Do you you're still going to the theater when you get the shot? Right. And is it still that presence of being in that room? Uh, you know, more impacting or differently impacting than, than all the other media uh, that we watch? I think it? more than ever because we have so many other types of media. Um, I mean, we, I love film. Sure. I mean, film can take you to other places. Sure. Um, in fact, I'd rather see Tennessee Williams on film because I can get a close-up of, of a great actor oh. and see inside mm -hmm. their mind. Mm -hmm. What distinguishes the theater from any, all those other media is the personal... Uh, presence of mm -hmm. the actor and you and I think that makes it unique and I think theater or performance needs to emphasize that the fact that we're here in the room that's why I love Shakespeare mm -hmm. Shakespeare had the Globe Theater with the the theater that went out into the audience right his actors came out and looked you in the eye and said this is what's happening to me mm -hmm. you know this is the problem I have it's interesting that you I've not heard it like that I when I thought you were gonna say the just the circular nature of mm -hmm. it but it was the bringing them into the audience. Uh, I think it was within the last five years, Ted has redesigned the main stage. Mm. And the main stage now, is the circle, we know the circle, the red dot, right. but that's actual a circular extension now into mm -hmm. the main stage, into, into the audience. So, and there's people sitting all around that. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I, and, and I think that Presidium, where they could walk out, I mean, think of the beginning of... of of Richard III, you have a guy coming out to you saying, because I'm crippled and ugly, and everyone's, everyone else around me is having fun, mm -hmm. having sex, and because I'm ugly, I'm not having as much sex, I'm going to create ca chaos. I'm going to try to kill a lot of people and become king. That's what he's telling you. Hmm. At the opening. <laughs> At the opening. And that's the play. Welcome to the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I'm not having a great time, because I'm not having as, as much sex as what I see with the people who, are, who haven't got a crippled hand. I'm going to bring the world down I'm around I'm going to bring the world down around me. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's such a, a striking And it doesn't, but, but, start, start but being in the play. presence of a human being who is saying that out loud versus watching the document right. of a human being right. saying that out loud. Right, right, right. Uh, has that Benjamin used to call it the aura? Walter Benjamin wrote mm -hmm, it, uh, mm -hmm. the the uh, art in the age of mechanical reproduction. Right, it's about this this feeling of being in the presence of that. Uh, you cannot you can't shake it, and that's like when you walk out of a show with your with the people that you've seen it with, or even people that haven't seen it. That's that that Bing moment is what you're talking mm -hmm. about to them, right? Like that's mm. the conversation about like, yeah, but did you see the moment when you know when she right. was you know flying you know above the whole audience right. and you're like yeah. oh yeah yeah that yeah. was a terrifying yeah. moment we talk about that with we produce tedx and mm -hmm. tedx events and i'm tedx conejo was a, a great one we do tedx santa barbara and mm -hmm. tedx camarillo be coming uh, next year and i think about we call it that ted moment it's that one where you're in the audience mm -hmm. and there is that connection it's not theater but it's it's about ideas but it's the same right it's a lot same. of the same right. elements very right. much so right. Uh, yet they'll say it's all about the video. Like the audience is there to give the energy and the juice to the person so that shows up great on video because that's the whole spreading piece. Mm -hmm. And we tell our speakers there will be a TED moment, but you can't manufacture it. Would you agree with that, that there's not a big, that bing, that thing that happens, like if you planned for it, it, it couldn't happen. It's 
magically occurs? Yes and no. I, I think when you're talking about whether it's a, a speech like a TED, a TED event or a theater, you can't plan for it, but you have to work for it. Hmm. Oh. Those speakers oh. or the actor who goes to two months of rehearsals mm -hmm. spends time repeating something, spends time right. learning it, spends time incorporating it to who they are. Um, and it's through that work that makes that big mo bing moment possible. You can't say, I'm going to do it in two seconds. But I don't think without that work, it is probable. I think without that work, it seems like it's more, you. it's not reproducible and it's not, you right. don't know, well, why did that bing? Why did that right. work? Why did that right. pop off? But that, but that, that hoping and pushing for it and mm -hmm. you know doing it over and over again i've seen it so many times on the ted stage where they 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 almost seem surprised by the thing that they didn't realize that was going to be the thing that right. that connected with the audience where because they've said it so many times or they've dealt with it so many times they say and then it turns out that you know all the kids are healthier there's a great ted uh presentation it's a woman talking about body language and, and coming across confident hmm. and and the more you act confident you know, you actually build your own confidence. And it was a really interesting moment about two-thirds of the way through. And I'm sure she's given this presentation before in, mm. in classes. But I could see she discovered or rediscovered something on the stage, and it created that little bing moment mm. where her own, she, re, she told about her own discovery of becoming more confident. And I think having repeated that allowed her to fully experience that on stage and so share it with the audience. And it even came across on video. I wow. think you could pick that. I mean, that's my, my experience tells me that. We had a guest on the show, Dr. Keith Witt. Um, you, listener, go listen. It was a great show. And he, because we've talked about this at length, because we, we talk about this very specific thing. And mm -hmm. he said, what happens is that rehearsal, you rehearse, you rehearse, you rehearse, you rehearse. And you don't want to come off as mechanical or, or all of that because that's, that's bad. And right, that's, right. But the, the truly gifted performance, whether it's acting or it's your own lines, he said, what he purports is that it is in the transmission that all the magic is in the transmission, that you become this vehicle that this, the thing flows through. And that's why we go. That's what we want. We want to experience that transmission or that connection to that other person. And the content's just flowing through them. That's not what's important. It's the experience of the transmission. Would you agree? I, I totally agree. And, and, and when you look at that, that's an interesting way to express it. That transmission means there's, a, there's sort of an emitter, like the actor, who is completely attuned hmm. towards letting that out. And that's surrender, right? Right. It's like right. It's a, I know this content cold. I, right. I've rehearsed it thirty right. minutes a day for every single day, so that it's integrated. It's in my bones, and now I'm going to be so in the moment. Gets back to improv that I'm, and and then what happens is uh, you can receive back from the audience, mm -hmm. and that's when the little aha moment 
happens as in your example right. during the talk. Um, this just in from the internet. That's Amy Cuddy. Your body language shapes who you are. It's been viewed 34 million times. Ah, yes, yes. And, and I think what's interesting is when someone, when you've done that work and you've found that link to that, the, some part of the actor's authenticity and the actor has, has that 5% control to be able to repeat it, it's those little variations while performing a play right. or, mm. right, right, or right, giving right, a speech right. where, in, in essence, that actor or the speaker rediscovers something. Mm -hmm. right. If it's only a little blink They're of the eye to it. Yeah, yes, or a little, yes, a little yes. res, re, the words resonate in a tiny little different way that gives it life. And if you're not connected to something authentic, it's going to become mechanical and, and boring. I, I, does this tie back into business? I, I, I'm, I know, I'm hearing I'm, everything you're saying, and I'm thinking like, well, that's exactly if you walked onto the floor to try or into a meeting, if you were speaking with that authenticity, I think you would be very well received. I think uh, the good speakers in business are much like what you see on TED, where someone mm -hmm. has found that part of his 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 himself or herself. Um, articulating a vision that they have worked on and, and, and developed. And it, it resonates in them and also resonates in, you know, their audience. Mm -hmm. In fact, I heard something yesterday which I really loved. I thought it was an excellent expression by this guy John Green at one of his commencement speaks. And he said, you have a stronger voice if you listen effectively. <laughs> and think about that. That's a wonderful, that's a, you listen to yourself, he said, yes. and you listen to others. And when you listen to others and yourself, you'll have a stronger voice. And I think that's what the actor does. That's what a speaker does. That's what a good business leader does. Um, you know, listens to the organization, finds what can be articulated and made useful and operational in a business. I also love whenever, also whenever anybody says to me something about uh, what they idealize in a, in a, in a good person, if, if one of those components is listening, I always get really self-conscious and try to be like, well, am I listening correctly right now? Uh, am I being a good listener at this moment? Well, as I was transitioning from theater to business, I spent about four or five years just rehearsing and training people to speak in front of the group or oh, on, did you? on television. You were a speaker on, coach? Yes, I was speaker coach for really? a long time. Yeah. Is that what they called it then? I don't know. We called ourselves coach, yeah. communication experts, something like that. And I was always laughing because I'd sit in at the at the person's presentation or speech afterwards and there'd be someone said, geez, he's a natural. <laughs> uh, and we didn't realize we just spent two days getting him back to the simplicity that he he or she was looking for. That, that should have yeah. been your business card. Where you just say, hi, I bring the natural. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. After two days of, yeah. of eight I or can, nine hours a day. I can uh, train you to be natural. Uh, and it, it's very, you know, it's like an actor. It's, yeah. you know, and some people, of course, you know, find that on their own, have that. But other people with, with maybe a challenging situation, they need more help <coughs> in refinding that simplicity, you know. As business people, because uh, the other thing, you, you've done a lot of work in communication. And as business people, I, I like to think being a, think of yourself as a gifted communicator, not just good, but gifted, mm -hmm. because that's how you're going to influence and, and all of that, right? So, so we're on the same page in that. Public speaking is a huge part of being a great communicator. You know, you don't talk to yourself. And... What would you say are the three things that you like to, well, another little mini class, but when, you know, someone sits down with you and it's over that two-day intensive, you're coaching them up uh, to go and 
come off like, oh my God, this is the best speech I ever heard. What are the three things you focus on or you want them to come away with? First thing is know what you want to accomplish during that speech or that meeting. Mm -hmm. I mean, very clearly, like what do I want them, what do I want my audience or the people I'm talking with to say, do, or think at the end of that meeting? Hmm. Got it. Very precise. Um, Secondly, um, understand who your audience is. Okay. How do you, how do they, I mean, just like asking the question, who's going to be in, where well, you get booked for is who, who's there? Or who's there? It's what my are their board concerns? members. It's my employees. Yeah. It's, but you're looking for them to build a profile of that, right, of that the, audience. Of that maybe. audience. Yeah. And, and why are they, and then why are they sitting there? Are pe- people really haven't considered these things when you ask them this? Um, or they haven't verbalized them? Or? What often happens when I was coaching people is they would be so concerned about what I'm going to say uh, yeah. and how, how do I get together? How do I structure what I'm going to say? Because I don't want to f- come across as a jerk. Hmm. There's so much nervousness, even the most experienced business people. It's what I want to say. And they don't take that step back and say, why should those folks listen to me? That seems like why the should they one. care? Why should they care yeah. about yeah. the next 45 minutes or hour, or however long they're speaking? Yeah. That's what is it that the the, uh, the old joke is uh, that people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of death, right. which says that, that they would rather be in the casket than speaking at the funeral. Right. <laughs> oh. And that's true. I mean, well, that's know, what, yeah, it's I hear a lot. I don't realize that because, of course, I, I own microphones. But, um, yeah, most right. of the people I interact with on a daily basis don't like standing in front of a, even a small group of people. Yeah. I'm I'm taken by the second part. They understand the audience, which is you know it's like I want to know who are the people. I like the why are they there? Is this a mandated? Is this a plenary mm-hmm. session, mm-hmm. or is this uh, they opted in? Right, uh, right. So that that's that's interesting, but it brings it back to what you said in the very beginning, which is that who's my customer. So if I'm selling something, I want to know who my customer is in, in, in quite a bit of detail. In fact, your people can look this up. You're a, a black belt in uh, what's called Six Sigma. Mm-hmm. And we'll let, we could do a whole talk on Six <laughs> Sigma, but let someone Google that and understand you're a right, black belt right. in that. It's, it's quite an achievement. Um, but you've said, we in, for first thing out of your mouth, need to understand a customer. Now we're saying that if I'm speaking What's my product? It's my idea, right? That's the product. And and if I want you to buy my idea, literally or figuratively, or at least be aligned with, yeah, I hadn't considered that, the better I understand my audience, the better chance I'm... Now... Well, well, think it, it's not even by because that's why our, there's a there's a dialectic between what you want to achieve and your profile of your audience because maybe they're not ready to buy your idea, and if you try to have them buy your idea, you'll come on too strong. Okay. So okay. what you have to say, these folks, I mean, I, I'm selling consulting services or, or some accounting services. They're not ready to buy today, but what I need to get them to is they trust me. Ah. So maybe the first So step, my first objective is trust. The first objective in that instance might be or they walk away thinking I can trust that guy, he is competent. To buy is another decision. And sometimes we all know that situation where where a salesman came on too strong 
and we weren't ready at that moment to. Because I don't, I don't even know you, and you're selling me. How could I trust right. you? We we study with. Um, maybe you've picked up. I'm very fascinated with this whole concept. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think it's why one of the attractions to TED for me, and why I like doing the TEDx. There's a guy locally, actually in, in uh, Gora, uh, named Bo Eason, who does an event called Personal Story Power. People can Google that, and he he gets his con where he focuses is in the first minute of the talk. They have the whole talk, blah blah blah. Yes, there's all kinds of structure, story coach, performance coach, right, all this right, stuff. Right. But if they don't trust you within mm -hmm. seconds of you opening your mouth, you, they're gone. And you, you have one shot to do that. And his, his entire concept is if you, he may not say that, but I'll tell you my takeaway of sitting through a few of, <laughs> of those sessions is you have an opportunity to build trust with that audience right off the bat and he purports that the the way you do that is with a personal story that shows you're vulnerable that shows you're human that you're just like them and they can identify with it and i really like that guy and then you've earned their trust and you can go ahead and do what you need to do i i think that's true i think whether it's you know a, a sales or just a presentation as we've all seen these studies where people make judgments in the first minute, mm -hmm. whether I like that person or not, exactly. whether I trust them. You right. know? And I think the way you walk into a room at times is going to determine, and I, I don't know, I've, I've done a lot of well, job absolutely. interviews. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I, I hate to say it, but in the first two minutes I've decided whether I'm going to hire the guy or not. And don't hate to say it. This is, people should know that, yeah. a business person should know that that someone's going to make a decision to buy from you or come to work for right. you. It's not, you're both being interviewed in this right. situation, right? Right. right. Uh, uh, when they go to your website, right? Like, do they? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love though inside of that? And this is speaking from somebody who's recently been through an interview. Uh, wouldn't you, wouldn't that be an amazing thing for, for anybody, for, for you to kind of have that kind of um, active feedback where it says like, Okay, the first two minutes has gone by. You're going to be fighting from the bottom now. Go, you know, like give them the like, like, yeah. like this knowledge of like, okay, you're fighting from the bottom now. You've got to come up and and convince me because the first two minutes you failed. You failed the first two minutes, and now I need you to come back from that, or say to them like, okay, well, the first two minutes, I think we're right on target. Let's not spend 45 minutes doing this. It's it's always funny to me because there there is that feeling of of the first two minutes is the decision, and then the next forty five minutes is is us deciding whether or not that first decision was right. You right. know, we're just right. affirming it, or well, we're just yep. affirming it. Right, we're affirming that for the it, next forty five minutes. It is delicate though, as we all make those decisions very quickly. And I, I loved what you said before. You spend the rest of the time saying, "Did I make the right decision?" Validating, yeah, validating, yeah. or saying, "Geez, no, he's just he's he surprised me just then." Yeah, he said something. I didn't anticipate when I first met him, or for good or for bad, and, yeah. and th that's why those interviews last, you know, forty-five minutes an hour. I just, I guess, I just want that. I want that that critical feedback up front because that seems more honest or, tr or trustworthy mm -hmm. to say to me, like I'm, I'm not seeing it here. Like the second, qu the first question should be whatever it is, and then the second question should be like, yeah, I'm not seeing this, so you better, you better, because otherwise you're just spending that entire time going, I don't know what's happening, I don't know yeah. where I exist. Yeah. Uh, in this, you know, it w my my most recent one was a very stringent HR HR interview that had these are the twelve questions we're going to ask everybody. 
These are the only 12 questions we're going to cover. And it just felt like, well, we're working to a test here. This is not, you know, there's no, there's no right. actual, I've got no shot at this actual communication. I, in, in some interviews, I would wait till about half an hour, 45 minutes later, and uh, I, I basically hired a lot of uh, black belts. I, huh. Last job I had, they ran f for me and, some, and managers. And I'd say, geez, what I'm seeing right now is this, this, and this, and it doesn't make me feel like this role is compatible. Can yeah. you help me address those issues? And I found that was a great discussion. Yeah. Because number one, the person would address that if they could, yeah. or if they couldn't, they knew exactly where they stood when they left the interview. Which but, is amazing. Yeah. But I had to be in a situation where I could articulate those those issues fairly clearly to give the person a chance you mean by to listening? address them. By listening. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to the first part of the conversation. Yeah. There's a guy no longer with us anymore. His name's Chet Holmes, who um, would, in this interview process, he loves this person. He wants to hire the person so bad. And the people standing behind looking in the window going, okay, this is the last conversation. We've all talked to him this is our guy and he'll go through and he'll say i'm just not feeling it hmm. right to the individual right to him ah, good yeah i'm, but not, all, but I'm the, not feeling it but the person has it at this point oh they, they have it they, they think they have it and they think they're about to be given the pack oh here give here this is your here compensation you package yep and you get slapped with that i'm i'm not feeling it to your point of yeah i don't know that there's a fit but he would just say but he didn't give him any other context you at least would say I really specifically and let them address it by having it open-ended. Yeah, I'm not feeling it. They're either going to say, "Well, gosh, you would know. You're the expert. You're the boss. I'm sorry, this didn't work out. Goodbye." And they get up and leave, and you're like, "Oh my God." Or they say, and this is a perfect candidate, and they disqualify themselves and walk out the room. Or they say. Have you not been listening to me for the last 45 <laughs> minutes? Let me go over that again, how I'm going to increase your sale, improve your operational efficiency. I'm going to do all of these things. And you go, that's what I want. Thank you, buddy. You're hired. I want to see some ego strength. Right, right. The, what often is the case, the reaction to that type of comment is probably one of your bigger indications of how they'll be a, a good employee. Ex no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's a challenge. Of right. Sorts. And yeah. Now, he hired salespeople. Yeah. And so they're going to hear no all the time. So right. how, he's testing to see how yeah. well you react to no. Yeah. It's like, well, no, no, park that no. We're going to do something else. And no, we're out of time. We have no more time. <laughs> This Can you went believe very that? Quickly, right? Yeah, that's went very quickly. That's our technique. Yeah. There you go. We forget <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Good technique. No, yeah. thank you. We um, we do that. We we covered. I didn't get into Wisconsin, and I could have gone into Wisconsin deep. I love that. <laughs> we didn't talk about Paris. I just saw flooding in Paris on the news. Yeah, that was yeah, just scary yeah. stuff in your right, The Louvre is closed because um, right. they're moving right. stuff out of the Louvre. Right. Yeah, uh, there's a lot, a, of, a lot of stuff below grade there. Um, I'm really interested in medical devices. Like you, <laughs> I I like all this stuff. I think um, you're advocating for a sequel here. I'm going to say, I would, Michael, we'd love to have you back on the show. Well, this was very pleasant. I'm gl glad to be back. Huh? Now, you're easily Googleable. People could find out more about sure. you. Sure. Google Michael Teasdale, Thousand Oaks. Yeah, and you're in LinkedIn, and you can I'm find all LinkedIn, of that. You're, that, you're uh, actively retired now. Mm -hmm. um, and now, Actively retired. Yes. No, people work term. at it. What a great no, term. They, they work at it. Um, <laughs> now, I do know you are, you're still giving back. You're involved. There's a lot of 
public service that you do, but you're on the advisory council at California Lutheran University. Yes, for the um, now, what is School that of job? Management. Is that a job, or do you it's, just sit around and be smart, or what is that? I sit around. I don't know if I'm smart or not. That's the second question. <laughs> no, I think, you know, one of the things that attracted me, the Gerhard the Dean. Um, Who we've had on the show. Oh, okay, great. Yep. Um, invited me. And what drew me to that school of management is two things. One, they put an emphasis on values. You know, right. so as they're yes. building leaders, their leaders have to be conscious of their values. And secondly, uh, and Gerhard's present as an o- Austrian is probably indicative of this, is that they're ver- big emphasis on global. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. I read recently that 51, in, in 2007, 51% of the goods, services, or financial flows in the world crossed a border in some shape or form. Mm. When you think of that, <laughs> the necessity to have a better global awareness, to right. be able to deal right. with people right. who don't speak English as a first language, right. who have might maybe slightly different values. And that's what I like about CLU, the, their school of management. You know, they, they work on those values, they work, and they have a very global perspective. I think that's very important today. For someone How many advisors are on that? 15 or 20, 15 maybe, on the on I the remember committee. looking at that yeah. as we, because we've been working with um, the school, the university, since the 805 project started. That's mm-hmm. how they came on our radar. And I was blown away. And someone said, someone said, the school changed when they brought Gerhard in because his ability to attract this level of talent because mm-hmm. he's been able to bring in lots of guys like you to help as he grows. So he, he knows that it's, let's have these experts come in from mm-hmm. all these various disciplines. Well, thankfully, otherwise you'd just be home, you know, taking just stamps take off letters and just taking them out. Bored out of your mind, just not doing anything. So. What, it, you know, this this region attracts, this is a, a the kind of that last place that people get. They have done well elsewhere. They come here either uh, to retire or that this is the last job and then they stay here and retire. Well, you know, the other thing that attracted me as an individual to CLU and the School of Management is, you know, I'm involved in some activist programs, you know, the Social Justice Fund. Um, and I wanted to keep a foot in business because mm-hmm. one of the mm-hmm. things I'm, I'm beginning is a um, nonprofit called Ventura Stories where what we're trying to do is bring people together from different backgrounds. Great. You know, have events where you know, a 17-year-old son of a farm worker who's fighting to stay in high school and go to college can talk to a retired old white guy and sort of say, well, what is your American dream? Because you know, and, and both of them are going to grow from that. Yeah. Exactly. Because right. yeah. 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 there's one thing I realized when I got into retirement is we really live in a bubble society. That yeah. we create for ourselves. That we create. I, yeah. I, yeah. You know, I, I, I realized at one point, I said, when's the last time I've talked to a minimum wage person who works in a uh, gas station. Not while you're getting gas. Not while I'm getting gas or, or right. any time. And I said, and so one of the things we're trying to do is create those situations where people from various backgrounds can talk, from different backgrounds, can talk together. Fascinating. And, and, and just talk about. And that's called Ventura stories. stories. Can we find that on the interwebs? Um, we're just, it's new. We've had one event. We're setting up another. We're, we're, we're creating the web now for it. Mm. There's an email. If you want to be put on a list, that's VenturaStories uh, at gmail.com. Got it. You know, if they want to be on our mailing list for our next event. That sounds event. interesting. Yeah. No, it's yeah. good. It's a good thing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank this, you for uh, nice As I said in the beginning, we didn't know where the conversation would go. And uh, 
finding out that you were a speaker coach was a, a, a real treat. I, I loved that. Uh, we talked about so many interesting things. Now we get to um, wrap a bow around that conversation and give it a title so that so someone can, you know, uh, there's some operational things I need to do by giving it a title. But as someone is looking through this long list of interesting conversations, there's something in the title that they go, oh, I want to listen to that one first. What would that title be? And somewhat indicative of all the things we talked about. Something probably about listening and, and developing your own vision. Okay. I mean, I love that expression. Listening strengthens your voice. Mm. Well, there it, it is. There it is. Sometimes it just takes a couple yeah. to, to sort itself out. Listening strengthens your voice. And knowing that um, we've got an improv show tomorrow night, um, and it's all going to be about me, active listening, <laughs> so because the people will give us a gift, a little gift, a little something, put me in a situation and go, oh, I oh, love that. I can totally do that. I, think, I love cool. that. I'm cool. going gonna, gonna to come in and be like, you're a podcast host. <laughs> In the basement of the Balboa building. <laughs> okay. Uh, I can run with that. I'm not connecting with that one. But give me a color. <laughs> to purple. Oh, good. Okay. Now, I, now I have something to talk about. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. It was Appreciate a pleasure. It. pleasure. And I want to thank, thank uh, Gerhardt for uh, introducing us. Mm -hmm. uh, as he often does, brings us just amazing people that live in this region that we get to spend a little bit of time with. Do you think he's still <laughs> no, Gerhardt specifically okay, because he so. wants to make sure we said his name five times, <laughs> right. uh, which we did. I, I, I want to thank him and California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio. The 805 Connect project, now in our third year, is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. If you're interested, you want to learn more about what the 805 Connect project is, Go to the interwebs, Google it. You can find us very, very quickly. Patrick, our listener has been waiting to the very yep. end because you have some little morsel. Yeah, there's only two kind of people in this world. Who? I'm just, I'm going to say right now, there are only two kind of people in this world. And one is uh, somebody who's subscribed to this podcast. And yes. the other are people who are not. Ooh. Your gig, is, uh, if you choose to accept it, is to go out in the world and uh, bring uh, just a few more, just a couple more each. If just a couple of you spread this out there a little bit, uh, we will have an even larger pool of people who belong on the right side of the two <laughs> kinds of people in this world. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. If you would love to send us a note of someone you think would be great on the show, uh, that would be great. Send it to mark at 805connect.com and also let me know what you like about the show or what you don't like and until next time this is mark sylvester your host for 805 conversations <laughs>